from the WIA. This is the weekly national news service originating from VK1 WIA. This is WIA National News for week commencing March the 6th, 2011. Hi, I'm Robert, VK3DN, filling in for Graham, VK4 Baker Baker, as Graham has a couple of weeks off. We trust you enjoy the break there, Graham. Okay, this is an action-packed news week this week. Lots of news stories. And on the news headlines, firstly, news that a dormant frequency allocation is being eyed off. News of the South East Queensland Microwave Day, that's today. A news story about three hams that have been killed by pirates. Barry Robinson, VK3PV, has another look at Amateur Radio Magazine. And Amateur Television History has been made. All these stories and more coming up in this edition of WIA National News from the Wireless Institute of Australia for this week, commencing March the 6th, 2011. Amateur Television History Made On Wednesday evening, the 23rd of February 2011, digital amateur television signals from Victoria were received in the northwest of VK7 by Winston VK7 Echo Mike. After noting that the band conditions were improving with a lift in the 70cm beacon strength and the appearance of Community TV Channel 31, Winston monitored VK3RTV, the Melbourne Digital ATV repeater on Mount Dandenong. At around 5.30pm, colour bars appeared. Then, with a liaison with Peter VK3BFG on 147.4 MHz simplex, who had made sure that the repeater was activated, Live pictures were organised. Pictures with Peter proudly showing off his equipment with a very professional on-camera appearance. Word spread and other stations like Neil, VK3BCU, John VK3DQ and Jack VK3WWW all joined in. And at one stage, there were two independent pictures arriving. John VK3DQ on one channel, VK3RTV1 and Peter VK3BFG on RTV2, and both in contact with each other. 8pm, signals on VK3RTV began to fade. It was then that a separate receiver monitoring 1250MHz suddenly came to life, with picture-perfect colour signal bar. A call out on 2 metres established that it was Rob VK3TRX who chatted and then held up his 10 gig antenna that he'll be using for the upcoming ATV field day. These pictures on 23 centimetres analogue FM became quite noise-free. The equipment used by Winston consisted of a homebrew Yagi's on each band to a K7MEM design. A masthead-mounted preamplifiers designed by VK5EME fed into a TIAC SDB451 digital set-top box on 70cm, while for 23cm, a Drake ESR700 satellite receiver. You can read the news story on the WIA website. Now the news story of the dormant frequency allocation that's being eyed off. The news story comes to us from itnews.com.au and it's well worth a read. The story is how Telstra has called upon the ACMA to reclaim 1452 to 1492 MHz. It's been reserved for digital radio 
and they're advocating its return for use by point-to-point microwave services. It was an important spectral band for Telstra, which used the 1.5 GHz band to deploy microwave systems for telephony services to meet its universal service obligations in remote and low-density areas. Telstra was of the view that the continued reservation of the DAB spectrum should be reviewed against the ACMA spectrum management principles. World DAB reports about 212,000 digital radio receivers have been sold in Australia. Most services were deployed in VHF band 3 spectrum, not 1.5 GHz. Go to itnews.com.au for that full story. Okay, we're joined now by WIA President Michael Owen VK3KI with some important news. This is Michael Owen VK3KI. Jeff Atkinson VK3TL has resigned as WIA Secretary and the Board has appointed Sarah Thompson VK3AUD as the new Secretary. Jeff has been WIA Secretary since February 2008. He became Secretary replacing Ken Fuller, who had taken the position on a temporary basis on the death of Chris Jones. Jeff has played a very important role as Secretary, in particular in relation to finding our current building, negotiating the lease and ultimately its purchase. Jeff is a totally practical person and has done much in organising the building, organising the inward distribution of QSL cards, setting up WIA stands at Hamfests and the like. I very much regret that Jeff has been forced to resign as WIA Secretary because he believes that his health no longer allows him the time to do the job to the level that he believes is necessary. Jeff assures me that he will still be able to contribute looking after the inward QSLs and will continue as a regular visitor to the office. I would like to record my very personal gratitude to Jeff whose views and contribution I have valued greatly. Sarah Thompson VK3AUD recently retired from Telstra at a senior technical position at the IP Networks Global Operations Centre at Clayton after many years with Telstra. In 1977 she spent a year with the Antarctic Division as a radio officer at Macquarie Island. She is currently Secretary of the Moorabbin and District Radio Club and among her many interests, she is a certified married celebrant, a member of the RSL, and holds a current St John's Senior First Aid Certificate. I am delighted that she has agreed to become the new WIA Secretary. I hope that you will be able to meet Sarah at the WIA Annual Conference in Darwin at the end of May. Thanks for that, Michael, and welcome, Sarah, from all the WIA listeners as our new WIA Secretary. And thanks, Jeff, for uh, your hard work and everything that you've done to date. Okay, 
the WIA Extending Emergency Communications Training. This story came to us from Phil Waite, VK2ASD, who had intended to uh, record an audio segment, but uh, due to a small technical glitch, was unable to do so. So Phil has sent me his script, and I read the following on Phil's behalf. Phil says that the WIA's training scheme for emergency communications operators is proving to be a great success, with 58 radioamateurs now having completed the training and almost 100 additional radioamateurs now registered for upcoming training sessions. Building on the success, the WIA is now extending the MCOM's training scheme to all Australian radioamateurs, both members and non-members of the WIA and to all affiliated radio clubs. He says that we believe this training scheme is important for amateur radio in Australia, and that we must treat all groups on an equal basis. However, as all WIA members have all contributed to the development of this training system, with more than $7,000 from members' funds already spent on the project, it's only right that non-members should pay an amount which fully covers the cost of their training. The charge for the MCOM's training for WIA members is $30, including GST. And the charge for people who are not WIA members is $65, including GST. He says that that way, members' fees will not be used for the benefit of non-members and that we believe it's only fair. All non-members applying for training will be given a six-month temporary non-voting membership of the WIA, including six mail-outs of AR Magazine and other WIA membership services. We've done this, he says, for two reasons. Firstly, because we require them to be covered by the WIA insurance scheme and they need to be a member to be calculated in the insurance premium that the WIA pays each year. And secondly, and quite frankly, that we're going to use this as an opportunity to identify active amateurs and promote WIA membership. For those who have completed their training and have been assessed as competent, WIA accreditation is the next step. And Phil will tell you more about WIA accreditation as a volunteer communications operator in the next few weeks. For more information on the WIA Emergency Communications Training Scheme and to apply for training, visit the WIA website. That's www.wia.org.au and click on the Members area and then Emergency Training. We sincerely hope that as many people as possible will take up this opportunity. Thanks to Phil Waite, VK2ASD, for that new story. From the WIA, this is the weekly national news service originating from VK1 WIA. Tune into the world. Amateur radio gets people talking. Available to both radio clubs and individuals is the WIA National Field Day on Sunday the 17th of April, marking World Amateur Radio Day. There's a hook ready made for local publicity. The first social media in the world was amateur radio, and it continues that and many other roles today. Here there is an opportunity for well-presented and knowledgeable radio amateurs to support their local radio club or form a trio of individuals. Put something back into the hobby that you enjoy so much. Promote your local classes in a meaningful way and put amateur radio prominently on display. 
have things looking tidy and in order, rather than to frighten away prospective radio amateurs. Check out the rules, and why not register immediately online for the Public Relations Day for Amateur Radio, that's 17th of April. Visit the WIA website, www.wia.org.au, right now for more details. And now to some ACMA news. The ACMA concludes the review of 3D TV trials and other emerging technologies, but will continue to consider authorising trials of emerging technologies using the currently unassigned digital TV channels until the end of 2011. The ACMA also decided that any further trials must be of short duration and that the broadcasters will be required to give the ACMA undertakings on measures that will assist the consumers to understand that the trial broadcasts are temporary and that will only be available in a limited number of locations. The ACMA considers it important that when purchasing 3D TV receivers, consumers understand that the current generation of 3D receivers may not be compatible with future transmission methods. The ACMA website has been updated with a new section on 3D TV setting out the ACMA approach to further trials. Amateur Radio, home of the good guys. Stu VK4SDD was calling CQ on 14240 when a very weak station came back. That station was WD0NMU slash Maritime Mobile. Mike was sailing somewhere north of the Philippines heading for Japan. Now Mike and Stu exchanged the usual in a QSO and then Mike asked if Stu could do him a big favour. Now it seems that his sat phone, you know a sat phone, that's modern consumer technology isn't it? Don't we love it? Well his sat phone was not working. So he asked if VK4SWE could send an email to his family explaining that the sat phone was dead and that they're all on track and all was well. Well, he did this, and the very next day Stu received a nice reply from WD0NMU's family thanking and praising Amateur Radio. I think this is one huge benefit to our hobby. We can have some fun occasionally and help someone. Thanks to the TREC, Townsville Radio Electronics Club, for that new story. Education, Youth and Advancement of Amateur Radio News of a training course at Dural. Tomorrow, Monday the 7th, will be the start of the Amateur Radio New South Wales licensed training course. It'll be held at the Quarry Road site of AR New South Wales in the Sydney suburb of Dural, number 63, and it'll commence at 7pm. The course instructor is Terry, VK2UX. It'll be held each Monday evening, and Terry expects it could last up to six months and says it will be a very thorough grounding in all aspects of theory and operating practice for the hobby of amateur radio. Remember, the course starts tomorrow evening at Dural, and listeners, would you advise anyone you know within range of Dural who would like to undertake this training course? Now, if you'd like to attend, please phone the AR New South Wales office telephone and leave a message with your contact details. The number is 02-9651-1490. And there are also details on their website, www.arnsw.org.au. Look under the section of Training and Exams. 
International News with thanks to the RSGB, Southgate Amateur Radio Club, the ARRL, Amateur Radio Newsline NZART and the worldwide sources of the WIA. An update on the Canterbury Christchurch earthquake disaster. This week on Commercial Radio, Marcus Lush interviewed Jeff ZL3PX on Amateur Radio's contribution to the relief effort in New Zealand. Jeff Chapman of the Amateur Radio Groups in Christchurch. Jeff, good morning. Good morning, Marcus. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Just got two minutes. What are you guys, what are you guys having to do? What service are you providing? We're providing backup communications to uh, existing networks, uh, running a parallel system to um, ease the burden on the main networks um, and putting in communications where um, uh, systems uh, are not working. That's basically what we're doing at the moment, uh, so Marcus. You, so you got batteries full of that? You were ready to do that? Yes, all geared up, ready to go. We've got uh, generators and battery power. Uh, at the moment, uh, our, our town ba- base in Christchurch uh, is running off battery supply and generator as we don't have any power at the moment. So that's, uh, you know, we have to be prepared for any um, uh, eventuality that uh, does arise. And we're fortunate um, to have, um, uh, you know, good systems uh, in place uh, for this very thing. But it's a bit disconcerting, you know, uh, being shaken around and, uh, and that. So this is something that you amateur radio guys always practice and are prepared for to step into the breach when there is a national emergency like this? That's correct. Uh, it's part of our, our hobby. It's one of these hobbies that have a uh, public service uh, side to it, the Amateur Radio Emergency Communications Group. It is uh, a nationwide thing throughout New Zealand and um, it's, uh, it has sections in various locations uh, throughout New Zealand and um, it's just part of a public service to a, a hobby which not many hobbies do have and uh, we're fortunate here in Christchurch we have two specialised communications vehicles which are being used uh, at this very moment for um, uh, acting as headquarters and um, you know various, it's got multi-function roles they, they do play. Jeff, how much um, longer will you keep doing this for? As long as we have to. So could, and, you, you uh, could go for weeks or months? Yes, that's right, and um, we do have backup throughout New Zealand of uh, personnel who are willing to come to Christchurch to um, to uh, uh, support us and uh, give us a... Well, everyone needs a break at times, and um, we, we do have uh, amateurs throughout New Zealand who are willing to prepare to spend their own personal time in coming and assisting us. Great stuff. Thank you so much. From the uh, Amateur Radio Group in Christchurch, that's Jeff Chaffman. It's 8 o'clock. And I must say, an excellent interview and great publicity for the good work of Amateur Radio. Now on Tuesday the 1st of March, we at WIA News got a chance to speak with Richard Smart of AREC, the AREC section leader for Christchurch and the guy responsible for the post-earthquake AREC operations in the field. Now, what has AREC's involvement and function been uh, since the earthquake? AREC's involvement in the Christchurch earthquake has been to support uh, both uh, civil defence directly with the welfare centres, initially at the uh, temporary welfare centre in Hagley Park, a, a small tent city where AREC provided effectively a complete communications terminal, uh, right through to uh, extensive support for the Landsar uh, operation which has been visiting every home uh, in the western suburbs of Christchurch. Uh, to date, a total of some 18,000 homes have been visited uh, by the Landsar teams. 
uh, and the AREC team have provided communication for upwards of 300 volunteers in the field at any one time. And uh, what is ARIC's role and involvement right now? At this stage, we are still extensively supporting the Landsar operation. That's the, the more major component. Uh, today, with uh, 300 searches in the field, we have deployed uh, uh, probably something in the order of uh, 50 radios to teams uh, of operators, and each of those teams has also got their own radios. There are about 250 actual staff on foot uh, in the field, and uh, all of that communications is coming back through AREC. Now, Richard, what is ARIC's future involvement likely to be? It's very difficult to tell at this stage, and uh, the difficulty is that there are a number of significant issues that the city is facing, and there are a number of agencies involved, obviously with specialisations in different areas. One of the areas where the uh, civil defence emergency management teams are working on is selecting the appropriate uh, teams for the tasks they have. And at this stage, whilst this tasking is uh, drawing nearer to a close, uh, we are waiting for word of what the next tasking may be. And Richard, what would you say ARIC has accomplished? I believe in this case AREC has managed to provide a solution uh, to unforeseen communications difficulties and in the case of the Landsar deployment particularly become a linchpin to allow the operation to work. Uh, we have been told by the senior management for the Landsar operation that uh, basically it would not have been possible to achieve what they have achieved which is spectacular in its own right uh, without the assistance of AREC in that role. Well, thanks, Richard, for your time, your good work, and uh, best wishes from the Australian Amateurs and the WIA National News Service. From the WIA, this is the weekly National News Service, originating from VK1 WIA. Now the story of amateur radio operators who were killed by pirates. Three yachtsmen killed by Somali pirates were hams. Four Americans, including three amateur radio operators who were being held hostage on their yacht by pirates off the coast of Oman, have been killed. They were Scott Adam, K9ESO, and his wife Jean, KF6RVB, along with Bob Riggle, KE7IIV, and Phyllis McKay. They were on board the SV Quest when pirates boarded their vessel on Friday, February the 18th. Officials were in the process of negotiating for the Americans' release when gunfire was heard. As US forces responded to the gunfire reaching and boarding the quest, the forces discovered that all four hostages had been shot by their captors. Thanks to the ARRL for that news story. Now news from AR Newsline. A big leap for Codec 2. Codec 2 may not be ready for prime time, but it's getting close. Take a listen. Uh, I'm excited in part because it's going to provide low, low bandwidth for, uh, for satellite communications. What, what other uses do you uh, see uh, something like this having, both in amateur uh, um, context and elsewhere? Well, uh, all sorts of uh, things, really. Um, I guess the main, um, main application is going to be using digital modes on, uh, you know, on radio, on various uh, sorts of radio. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, the potential for that. Um, I'm not sure whether the, the 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 quality is going to be good for um, remote receiver monitoring. I think there's perhaps other codecs that would be better for that. 
but um, definitely worth experimenting and, and, and finding out. That was just a snippet of a long conversation between Bruce Robertson, VE9QRP in Sackville, New Brunswick, Canada, holding forth with Paul Seville, ZL3IN, in Christchurch, New Zealand, using Codec 2. For those unaware, Codec 2 is an open-source alternative to both DSTAR and P25 that's being developed by a group of volunteers all around the world. The idea behind Codec 2 is to provide a single free software-based digital voice encode and decode system that would not require any proprietary firmware, as is found in most other current digital voice systems. And as you can hear, even in this internet-only QSO being held by two hams half a world apart, the quality is quite extraordinary, likely on a par with all systems available to hams today. Listen as ZL3IN describes his current career to VE9 QRP. So I run a small software business and uh, um, odds odd, odd bits and pieces, any work that I can get around the place. And uh, it keeps me busy. Previously, uh, you know, I worked for various people in the software industry. Um, most recently, I uh, worked for uh, the, the local air traffic control um, um, people, which is called Airways New Zealand, which um, working on air traffic control uh, software, basically. More about Codec 2 is online at codec2.org. The complete QSO between VE9QRP and ZL3IN is at tinyurl.com forward slash codec2 video. News from the IRTS News Service in Ireland. International Marconi Day. Yes, it takes place this year on Saturday the 30th of April. And in Ireland, the Howth Martello Radio Group will be participating once again as an award station using the call sign EI0MAR. EI7JC, Ain Noon, IRTS News has the details. This is not a contest, but there are several nice awards available for working the officially listed stations, each of which has an historic connection with Marconi. The event is organised by the Cornish Amateur Radio Club. Echo India Zero Mexico Alpha Radio operates from the Martello Tower overlooking the East Pier in Hoth, County Dublin. The tower now houses a vintage radio museum. In 1905, the British Post Office carried out wireless telegraphy experiments at the tower in Hoth using Marconi equipment. Visitors are always welcome at the museum and the group hopes to see many visitors during the IMG event in April. The North Cork Radio Group will also be active from the Marconi Signal Station at Goline Mizenhead, West Cork, where Marconi sent many of his first test transmissions to America. The official call sign for the event will be Echo India Zero, India Mike Delta, and it is hoped we will be accepted on the official International Marconi Day Awards program. For Victor India, Victor Kilo One, Whiskey India Alpha National News, I'm Aidan Echo India Seven, Julia Charlie. Another look at Amateur Radio Magazine. Themed this month is the WIA Centenary Year in Review. A striking composite front cover design, inside back cover display and a review on the 100th anniversary celebrations. 
The comprehensive article captures the essence of the year-long celebrations which included a special call sign and the Centenary Award. A highlight was the AGM which included the day at Dick Smith's wonderful country retreat. The article discusses the planning and execution of the many events that were part of the celebrations. Well worth a read. Looking ahead, the Darwin Amateur Radio Club president, Spud Murphy, VK8ZWM, welcomes everyone to the WIA annual conference to be held in May this year. Get your bookings in now. In technical articles this month is one entitled Delta Loops, Quad Loops, Inverted V Dipoles, presented by Felix Skerry, VK4FUQ. Must be read by those who use this type of antenna or are just thinking about it. Felix, VK4FUQ, first got into Delta Loops some 20 years ago, so has plenty of experience and knowledge to share. Also on the technical side is included building an 80-metre SSB kit radio by Lyle Wyatt, VK5WL, and a ubiquitous SDR, a different sort of radio explained from Hans Schmidt, VK5YX. Amateur Radio Magazine, a WIA membership service and also available at selected news agents. I'm Barry Robinson, VK3 Papa Victor, and you're listening to VK1 WIA. Worldwide, special interest groups, VHF and above. Today in VK4, already announced, is the South East Queensland Microwave Day. Doug Friend, VK4OE, President of the Brisbane VHF Group, says that they want to enable as many folk as possible, amateurs and non-amateurs, to be able to go and see microwave amateur radio in action. Plans are proceeding for the already announced South East Queensland Microwave Day on the 6th of March. We want to enable as many folk as possible, amateurs and non-amateurs, to be able to go and see microwave amateur radio in action. Why? Well, there's a new and great experience waiting for anyone who takes the time and trouble to start playing with microwave frequencies. And the Brisbane VHF Group wants to make it easier for anyone to feel the intense satisfaction there is in getting gear working and operating on any of the amateur bands 1296 MHz and above. So on Sunday the 6th of March, starting just after completion of callbacks to the WAA and Q News broadcasts, you should find a group of us using several bands on Mount Gravatt on Brisbane's south side. Or you could go to Kevin VK4WA's place, who will have several bands operational at Red Bank Plains in the west. Or you could go further west to John VK4JMC's place at Laidley and see him using 1296 and 2403 MHz. On the north side of Brisbane, you can catch up with Roy VK4ZQ, who will be portable from a location to be confirmed yet, but with several microwave bands there on the north side. Further north again, Adrian VK4OX will be operational on 2.4 GHz from Mullaney and Wayne VK4WS will have a number of bands operational from a portable location at Howells Knob, also near Mullaney. Operating with low power on 5.7 and 10.3 GHz to the east of Brisbane, yes, the east, should be Peter VK4EA on the beach at Morton Island, an unusual and potentially interesting contact for many of us to make. Primary liaison on the day is expected to be via the Brisbane VHF Group's RBN repeater on 147 MHz, so this repeater will be active on that morning. Anyone can go to any of these locations to experience the ways of operating, the challenges and the intense fun of microwave amateur radio. So again, for all the latest, check in on 14700 in Brisbane after the news. Well, that about wraps it up for this week. We're out of time. Thanks for listening to the WIA National News Broadcast. We trust that you will have a really good week this week. 
This has been Robert, VK3DN. Your news broadcaster for this week, on behalf of Graham, VK4 Baker Baker. Walk softly. VK1 WIA. We've reported, you decide.